Twitter crashes, China smashes, and New York mayor clashes. How about that? Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Yeah, I know. I was getting a little crazy when I was putting the opening headlines together here. Welcome. It is a uh, Thursday, kind of the weirdo day of the week. Kind of not Friday, but eh, better than Wednesday. So we're back. We are live tonight on Rumble.com. Share that out with your friends. And while you're here, please, just a quick request, if you wouldn't mind. It's free. It's easy. Just right there is a follow button. Give that a smash. You're good to go. Thank you for that, by the way. And, uh, yeah, we got a lot coming up tonight and some really weird stuff that happened today. Hey, protect your online activity with the best and easiest VPN. That would be NordVPN. Use the special link in our show notes to sign up and you will get three months free and 59% off. That's a deal. NordVPN. All right, let's bring you up to date. On our favorite furry little friend, which would be Miko, the Miko update. I, uh, you know, I don't have any pictures tonight to share with you because nothing really. Uh, she didn't do anything extraordinarily funny today. Um, let's see, what have I got? Oh yeah, <clears throat> I don't think this is going to come out on camera, but we'll try. Can you see that? No, you sort of see it. Uh, yeah, she was getting a belly rub which is one of her favorite things to do. Can you see that? Eh, not really. It's a little too bright. Anyway, she's in there, and she's getting a rub, and she's looking up at me, uh, looking, uh, looking at me like, do not disturb me when I am in this absolute ecstasy of pleasure. <laughs> it's one of her favorite things. So, yeah, she... Uh, she had a great day. She went for a big, long walk tonight. Ugh, she, you know, when I walk her, I don't tell her where to go. I, like, let her choose the path she wants to take. And she picks different places every night. She wants to go one direction or the other, and I just let her go. And sometimes she wants to turn around within 20 minutes, half an hour, and head back home. And other times she'd stay out there for four, five, six hours if she could. So, uh, yeah, she had a long Long walk tonight. And our Miko update. It is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. You can get a special discount if you use that link. It's in our show notes if you forget. It's easy to remember. BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. You will get a free month if you sign up for a multi-month subscription. BarkBox is a cool thing to get for your dog. He or she will love it. And uh, you get every month a new themed box of goodies delivered right to your door. You get two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew in every box. If you are ever not happy with anything, they'll make it right. They have a 100% happiness guarantee. And uh, they have all kinds of cool themes every month. Uh, Showtime, Gobble Gobble, uh, Bark Buster Movie Night. There you go. SpongeBob SquarePants Toys. How cool is... Look at that. Squidward and all the uh, SpongeBob himself there. That's very cool. All right. There's a Thanksgiving theme, Coral Ruff, Halloween party. 
Oh, Halloween party. All that's available there at BarkBox.com. Check it out. Use our link, BarkBox.com slash Miko. See right there, exclusive offer, free extra month when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. It's very easy to do, very easy to get, and your dog will loves it. I know, I know they will. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. The stupidity continues. We got a whole show full of head shakers tonight. That's what we call these stories that you read and you look at and you just go, oh my God. Anyway, uh, it's not so much a head shaker as it is just a wacky one. It happened earlier. I know it was very early in the morning for me, but I was up anyway because I usually get up early, like five, six o'clock. And uh, they tried to go live on Elon Musk's account on Twitter, and it didn't work. They wound up having to use somebody else's account. But uh, this is from uh, redstate.com. DeSantis broke Twitter with his launch and a lot of coping going on in response. Uh, this is the writer talking here, but it's, it's well written. So let me just read a bit of it the way it's written. While I was flying in a plane somewhere over the Midwest this evening, Ron DeSantis finally made his much-anticipated presidential campaign announcement. Unfortunately, we've got no in-flight internet on our birds, so I'm disconnected while I'm up there. From what I gather, DeSantis demanded so much attention, he broke Twitter for about 20 minutes before he and Elon Musk were able to continue their Twitter spaces conversation. Uh, I listened to a part of it. Uh, honestly, after a while, I got kind of bored. I'm not, I mean, I love Ron DeSantis as the governor of Florida. He has been kicking ass and taking names since he started down there. I just don't, I, you know, sorry, I'm a Trump fan. Uh, it's 7, 760 thousand people were trying to click on at once to get into this uh this session on twitter uh obviously crashed the system and would not work um i'm just i think it's too soon i don't think he's ready i'm not sh on a state level he is a fireball on a national level for me honestly i think it's a trust thing i just don't know if I trust him. I think it's too soon. And as a matter of fact, Mike Huxabee, former governor, has slammed Ron DeSantis. And you know what? I gotta say, I kind of agree with what former Arkansas GOP governor Mike Huckabee says. Uh, this is an article. The link's in our show notes if you want to read the whole thing. Um, he slammed DeSantis, claiming the Florida government, uh, governor better be prepared to defend his decision to run for re-election since he wants to be president. This is a quote from Huckabee. One of the challenges he's going to have to answer is a very obvious question. See, here's where, here's where I start to go, hmm. If you want to be president, how come you just ran for governor last year? You asked for a four-year job, and then you barely had gotten into it before you start looking for another four-year job. Huckabee warned the public would want to know whether he was unhappy as governor, since he didn't even wait a full year after winning re-election. 
huge win for him down there in Florida. Uh, DeSantis has consistently said he would make a final decision on whether he would seek higher office after the end of Florida's legislative session, which ended earlier this month. He declared his candidacy for the Republican nomination during a Twitter Spaces event today. And uh, 18 months before the primary, DeSantis is the only Republican who truly stands any kind of a chance, even though I don't think it's much of a chance, against former pre- former President Trump. Uh, Huckabee most recently ran to be the Republican nominee for president in 2016. DeSantis would also need to do well in the early states if he hopes to have any chance of winning the nomination. I don't honestly think he has any chance. But this article and what Huckabee had to say, former governor of Arkansas, Uh, I can't disagree with, honestly. It's too soon, DeSantis. It is too soon. Plus, like I said, on a federal level, I think this guy can be controlled. Trump, you're not controlling him. He's going to do what he's going to do, and there isn't anybody going to tell him what to do. He'll he'll listen to your advice. Whether Whether or not he takes it, that's another story. DeSantis, on the other hand, I don't know. There's just something about him that strikes me as controllable is the only word I can think of. All right. Here's one for you. China, Microsoft, yo boy, here we go. China hacks critical U.S. infrastructure, according to Microsoft. Ouch. Micro, I'm not going to read this whole article because it's very detailed and it's very wonky. If you're into that technical end of things, knock yourself out. The link's in our show notes. But Microsoft has uncovered stealthy, targeted, malicious activity focused on post-compromise credential access and network system discovery, see, aimed at critical infrastructure organizations in the U.S., the attack carried out by Volt Typhoon, which is a state-sponsored actor based in China. Typically, they focus on espionage, information, uh, information gathering. Microsoft assesses with moderate confidence, that's what they said, that this Volt Typhoon campaign is pursuing development of capabilities that could, listen to this, could disrupt critical communications infrastructure between the U.S. and Asia during future crises. They've been active since mid-2021, targeted critical infrastructure organizations in Guam and elsewhere in the U.S. And in this particular campaign, the affected organizations span communications, manufacturing, utilities, transportation, construction, wow, list goes on, maritime, government, IT, and education. Observed behaviors suggested the threat actor intends to perform espionage and maintain access without being detected as long as possible. Still think China's not a threat? Something is going on, my friends, between these leaked informations about Chinese spy groups and hackers. 
Does this have to do with these senators getting their satellite phones? Maybe. Uh, This says uh, we may have an honest answer for why those satellite phones went out to the senators. In this campaign, the affected organizations, listen closely, span the communications, manufacturing, utility, transportation, construction, maritime, government, IT, and education sectors. Observers observed behavior suggest the threat actor intends to perform espionage in these areas. Could be. Could be. That's just one of several things we pointed out over the last few days on this show that are all adding up to a big giant, hmm, like 30 tons of explosives still missing, $290 million worth of anti-radiation meds have been bought. Yeah. Senators and their satellite phones, of course. There is just no way all these things adding up together is normal protocol. Stranger and stranger. High-level U.S. politicians, by the way, will be vacationing this coming Memorial Day weekend, just a short while away, with their families at various undisclosed COG locations. COG means continuity of government. Hmm. Just a string of coincidences? Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like I said, follow these stories. Here's one for you. They just keep coming out with the headlines. And to me, tinfoil hat and all, I really think they're preparing us for something. Look at this one from the Washington Examiner. Department of Homeland Security warns of heightened threat of terror attack from politically motivated lone offenders. Oh, like, say, a guy with a U-Haul truck full of ammonium nitrate? Hmm. The Department of Homeland Security warned yesterday the potential for a domestic terror attack in the next six months, particularly by extremists, who hold grievances against the Democratic or Republican parties. In the coming months, DHS expects the threat environment to remain heightened and that individuals may be motivated by violence by their perceptions of the 2024 general election cycle, legislative, judicial decisions pertaining to sociopolitical issues. Uh, The DHS said in a terrorism advisory bulletin yesterday, U.S. critical infrastructure, faith-based institutions, churches basically, uh, individuals or events associated with the LGB community, plus all the other ridiculous stupid initials, uh, schools, racial and ethnic minorities, Government facilities and personnel could be likely targets of this potential violence. What are they preparing us for, if anything? Like with their their U-Haul white terrorist guy 
Oh, by the way, we got an update on that. Links in our show notes. This is from the uh, Gateway Pundit. <laughs> the uh, alleged white supremacist who crashed his U-Haul into the White House barrier. Cy Candula bought his Nazi flag online. Supports eugenics and one world order. And is not a U.S. citizen. There you go. I, you know, you know this story. You've seen it. I've covered it a couple days in a row now. But uh, eyewitnesses say the truck was driven twice into a barrier before stopping. North side of Lafayette Plaza. Police uh, laid out the flag on the sidewalk near the truck, apparently for the media to film. How convenient. But uh, internet users, of course, including this one, immediate, immediately suspect. Uh, the only thing they found in the whole truck was a Nazi flag. Okay, which which now we find out he ordered online. Not that, you know, I mean, that's a source of where you can get that kind of crap. But there you go. More and more information comes out and more and more people shake their heads and say, something's happening. They are setting us up for something. Don't know what. But when it happens, you can say, see, we told you. All right. Target, Bud Light. When will these stupid companies ever learn? They just keep doing it. North Face is the latest. Now, I saw a couple of posts that questioned whether or not this was satire. But I researched it, and I don't think it is. I could see how you would think it might be satire. I'm going to play the ad in a minute. It's from North Face. You know, outdoor gear. North Face. Um, they've gone full transgender woke with their latest drag queen commercial. I'll play it for you in a second. Nothing says rugged outdoorsman like a man in a wig and a rainbow dress. How to destroy a brand, seriously. But is it satire? Take a look. You tell me. This is weird. Hi, it's me, Patty. Gonia, a real-life homosexual. And today, I'm here with the North Face. We are here to invite you to come out in nature with us. Wow, this is nice. We like to call this little tour the Summer of Pride. This tour has everything. Hiking, community, art, lesbians, lesbians making art. Last year, we gay saw shade across the nation and celebrated pride across the nation with hundreds of you across the nation. This year, we're back, back, back again with two new stops. Atlanta, GA. Why? Because you're there. In Salt Lake City, we're coming for you. Howdy, can we go? Of course. This year, all these fabulous speakers will be coming from inside this TV to a nature near you. So come outside and celebrate the beautiful LGHG TV community. You see, even on their website for North Face, it describes this countrywide tour. So I have to believe it's actually real. 
It's not satire. I mean, even that whole string of letters, GTV at the end, seems like a send-up of the whole LGBTQNA, LRP, LMNO, ZYXQ+, whatever bullcrap. It's really hard to tell. But anyway, North Face, they've done it in years past, and apparently they are doing it, doing it again. They're Summer of Pride. Now... I've said it before, I meant it, I will say it again. If you're not targeting kids, I don't care. You do you, absolutely. I have marched in pride parades that were not targeted in any aspect to children. And uh, absolutely, I have no problem with that whatsoever. The moment, the moment your audience or your show has a child audience, I have a huge problem with that. That has to stop. So far from North Face, I don't see that. There wasn't anything in the ad that I just ran. Nothing. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. I don't know. This isn't like Target having their 4XS size tuck-friendly bathing suits. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, one of our newest sponsors, and we are so proud to have them on board, and that would be these guys right here. Blackout Coffee. Love these guys. It founded on principles of conservative values. The founders believe in the importance of hard work, personal responsibility, family, respect, and traditional American values. The best small batch coffee, fresh roasted, all done in-house. It is amazing coffee. Wait till you smell it. Wait till you taste it. And I got you a special deal too. That's coming up. And yes, that is Dan Bongino. He has his own brand of blackout coffee. Yeah, you can pick up some Dan Bongino brand. They source premium grade green coffee beans graded at 80 points or above on a 100 point scale. Specialty coffees grown at the perfect altitude, perfect time of year, best soil, harvested at exactly the right time. They work with local co-ops, farmers that grow this high-quality coffee. They don't adopt a strict, uh, they adopt, they do adopt a strict adherence to small batch roasting coffee. Blackout coffee roasted, packed, and shipped with lightning speed and usually within 24 to 48 hours. So you get it at your door, virtually fresh roasted within a day or two. You get the beans right after they've been roasted. Premium coffee beans, highly controlled roasting process, and immediate shipping gives Blackout coffee customers an elite coffee experience. You must try this. Right now, down in our show notes, just click there to expand the show notes down. You will find our special link for Blackout Coffee and get you a special deal. And I know you love promo codes, so I got you one of those too. 20% off your first order when you use the promo code JS20. J-A-Y-S, like J. Sheldon, J's 20. J-A-Y-S 20. Use that promo code at checkout and you will get 20% off your first order at Blackout Coffee. Damn good coffee. And they help to support our values, our troops, hardworking people, first responders. We love these guys over there at Blackout Coffee. 
thank you guys for uh, coming on board and helping to sponsor the show. All right. You know, we've done a lot of stories lately about um, moderating content, people who are going to keep an eye on the things you say and do. And I've questioned, too, who should be doing the moderating? Who makes the decision? Who decides what's misinformation? What's fake news? How about this idea? AI. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Check this article out. It's in our show notes. No, not that. This one. Microsoft launches AI to moderate harmful content and inappropriate speech and images. AI controlling what you see and hear. A new moderation tool, according to TechCrunch, program called Azure AI Content Safety, used through the Azure AI product platform to detect inappropriate content in images and text. The tool assigns a severity code of from 0 to 100 into the alleged cyber infraction to indicate how moderators should police their platform. It can currently interpret content in Chinese, English, French, German, Italian, Japanese, and Portuguese. All those languages it can interpret in. Microsoft has been working on solutions in response to the challenge of harmful content defined by who? Hmm? Over two years now they've been working on this. We recognize existing systems weren't effectively taking into account context or able to work in multiple languages. New AI models are able to understand content and cultural context much better. They are multilingual from the start and they provide clear and understandable explanations, allowing users to understand why the content was flagged or removed. Still haven't answered the question. Who decides what's inappropriate? At what level? Who decides what's fake news? Bill Gates? God, I hope not. More details in the article. You want to find out more, check it out. Please do that. It's scary. It is scary. Okay, so... You want yourself a sanctuary city? You got a sanctuary city. Good and hard. New York City Mayor Eric Adams, this moron, asks to suspend the right to shelter rule, citing the influx of illegal immigrants. (laughs) You fool. Democrat New York City Mayor Eric Adams arguing in court to suspend the right to shelter. It's a requirement in New York City. Uh, Because of the ongoing influx of illegal immigrants and asylum seekers in the city, there was a 1984 court decision called the Callahan Consent Decree. New York City must provide shelter for virtually all homeless people who apply. Now, Adams has been trying to suspend this or modify it And Tuesday, they formally requested a New York judge pause the shelter rule. (laughs) 
You want to be a sanctuary city? You got it. Good and hard. Nice. No word as to what's happening, what the judge has decided. We'll follow up on that if we can. But just a quick update. Can't handle the heat, can you? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, check this out, by the way. This is a cool link from the post-millennial. I put this in the show notes, too. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this is an amazing article. You must read if you're interested in this subject. It is incredible. Shocking details from New York's largest migrant hotel. Drunk children, violence, guns, and drugs. I've been doing this for five years, and in my five years, this is the worst experience by far. Wow. A whistleblower who works at the largest migrant hotel in New York City revealed almost 5,000 migrants are currently staying a block away from Times Square, causing havoc for surrounding businesses, allowing children to drink alcohol, while receiving millions of dollars in free benefits. Carlos Arellano, whistleblower, worked at the largest migrant hotel in New York, coming forward, blowing the whistle about what he witnessed. He calls it the worst situation he's ever seen. 5,000 illegals living a block away from Times Square, 10 to 14-year-old kids getting drunk, trashed hotel rooms, guns, violence, theft, Like I said, this is an amazing inside scoop on exactly what's going on at the Roe NYC Hotel and has been going on for the past seven months there. Read the article. It will not only be a head shaker, it will be an eye opener. Incredible. Excuse me. All right. Speaking of eye openers... (laughs) Yeah, we got another one for you. I got two more stories here, and you're not going to believe this one. We talked about this yesterday. For all you carbon tax supporters out there, uh, got more video here. Check this out. Let's just bring that volume down because it's just ambient noise. Look at that. Mount Etna. Omitting more CO2 than man has ever created since man existed. However, you can't tax volcanoes, so this simple fact isn't shared with you and me. We're expected to give up our cars, don't fly, eat bugs, in the name of fighting climate change. But you just feel free to keep lying to yourself. In 24 hours, More CO2 released into the atmosphere than mankind has released since mankind existed. Hmm? Yeah. Very nice. Okay. You thinking about committing a crime? I am. (laughs) No, I'm not. But if I were, or if you are, you might want to think again. No matter how careful you are, no matter how many Dexter episodes you watched, you still can't hide your DNA, and it's getting more and more difficult all the time. 
Look at this. Your DNA can now be pulled from thin air. Not kidding. Privacy experts, obviously, are a bit worried. Experimental DNA research has aided conservation, but scientists say their ability to glean information about human populations and individuals poses dangers. This is just words on a page. I'll stick it up there anyway. But David Duffy's a wildlife uh, geneticist, University of Florida, was looking for a better way to track disease in sea turtles. So he started looking for DNA, and he found human DNA everywhere he looked. Over the last decade, wildlife researchers have redefined their techniques for uh, discovering and recovering environmental DNA, or eDNA. Trace amounts of genetic material that all living things, you and I included, leave behind just by breathing, just by walking through a room. You know, we're constantly shedding skin cells. It's floating in the air, lingering in the water or the snow, honey, even in your cup of tea. Now, researchers have used this method to detect invasive species before they take over track vulnerable or secretive wildlife populations, and even rediscover species they thought were extinct. But this eDNA technology is also used in wastewater surveillance systems to monitor COVID, other pathogens. All along, scientists using eDNA were quietly recovering gobs and gobs of human DNA. To them, basically, they look at it as, as, it, as pollution, sort of human genomic bycatch muddying up their data. But the reality is they're catching it everywhere. You just walk through a crime scene, you have shed DNA. At the moment, perhaps, the police forensic people don't have the ability. It won't be long before they'll just stick that vacuum up in the air, suck out all the DNA they can find, and they'll find you. This is weird, weird stuff. And strange that it's coming from folks in biology and ecology looking to save sea turtles. And yet they've found this. It's incredible. Mm. One more than way to get on to our book, 1984, by George Orwell. We are reading that book on the last part of our show here. But this is great. <clears throat> we always do, a, most of the time, we do a good news little segment here on the show. And I got one. There is an arrow in this video because it's quite small. So watch for the white outline of an arrow because you have to check out the last dog in this dog race. The theme for this video is never give up. Take a look. They're off. There go the dogs. Now watch right up here. You will see an arrow come up. I know, it's very small. You see that dog way there in the back? Look how far out he is. Now watch this. Watch the last dog. There's the first round, second round coming up. That last dog, is. there's the arrow. 
way, way in the back. They're on the on the back half. I don't know how to call races or I'd, I'd give you a show. Here they come. Now, here he comes. He's picking up about halfway through the pack. That is the last dog there. Watch this. Bam! And wins the race. How about that? Whoa! (laughs) That is incredible. He was so far back. And in the last half of the last circle came out of nowhere and won the race. Never give up. Never give up. All right, let's move on to our book. We read books on this show. We've done that for a very long time, almost from the beginning. We used to do uh, classic children's books, uh, The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, those kind of things. But uh, we are now doing something perhaps more appropriate to the format of this show. George Orwell's Frightening, 1984. And the more I read this book, the more I realize we're living it, folks. Let's continue on with 1984. How could you tell how much of it was lies? It might be true the average human being was better off now than he'd been before the revolution. The only evidence to the contrary was the mute protest in your own bones. The instinctive feeling the conditions you lived in were intolerable and that at some other time they, they must have been different. It struck him the truly characteristic thing about modern life was not its cruelty, insecurity, but simply its bareness, its dinginess, its listlessness. Life, if you looked about you, bore no resemblance, not only to the lies that streamed out of the telescreens, but even to the ideals the party was trying to achieve. Great areas of it, even for a party member, were neutral, non-political, a matter of slogging through dreary jobs, fighting for a place on the tube, darning a worn-out sock, cadging a saccharine tablet, saving a cigarette end. The ideal setup by the party was something huge, terrible, and glittering, a world of steel and concrete, of monstrous machines and terrible weapons, a nation of warriors and fanatics marching forward in perfect unity, all thinking the same thoughts, shouting the same slogans, perpetually working, fighting, triumphing, persecuting. 300 million people, all with the same face. The reality was decaying. Dingy cities where underfed people shuffled to and fro in leaky shoes, in patched-up 19th-century houses that smelt always of cabbage and bad lavatories. He seemed to see a vision of London, vast, ruinous, a city of a million dustbins, and mixed up with it was a picture of Mrs. Parsons, a woman with lined face and wispy hair, fiddling helplessly with a blocked waste pipe. 
He reached down, scratched his ankle again. Day and night, the telescreens bruised your ears with statistics proving that people today had more food, more clothes, better houses, better recreations, that they lived longer, worked shorter hours, were bigger, healthier, stronger, happier, more intelligent, better educated than the people of 50 years ago. Not a word of it could ever be proved or disproved. The party claimed, for example, that today, 40% of adult proles were literate. Before the revolution, it was said, the number had been only 15%. The party claimed that the infant mortality rate was now only 160 per thousand, whereas before the revolution, it had been 300, and so it went on. It was like a single equation with two unknowns. It might very well be that literally every word in the history books, even the things that one accepted without question, were pure fantasy. For all he knew, there might never have been any such law as the just prime noctus, or any such creature as a capitalist, or any such garment as a top hat. Everything just faded into mist. The past was erased. The erasure was forgotten. The lie became truth. Just once in his life he had possessed, after the event that was what counted, concrete, unmistakable evidence of an act of falsification. He held it between his fingers for as long as 30 seconds. In 1973, it must have been, at any rate, it was about the same time when he and Catherine had parted. But the really relevant date was seven or eight years earlier. The story really began in the middle 60s, the period of the great purges in which the original leaders of the revolution were wiped out once and for all. By 1970, none of them was left except Big Brother himself. All the rest had by that time been exposed as traitors and counter-revolutionaries. Goldstein had fled, was hiding no one knew where, and of the others, a few had simply disappeared, while the majority had been executed after spectacular public trials at which they made confessions of their crimes. Among the last survivors were three men named Jones, Aronson, and Rutherford. Must have been in 1965 that these three had been arrested. As often happens, they'd vanished for a year or more so that one didn't know whether they were alive or dead. And then they'd suddenly been brought forth to incriminate themselves in the usual way. They'd confessed to intelligence with the enemy. At that date, too, the enemy was Eurasia. Embezzlement of public funds, the murder of various trusted party members, intrigues against the leadership of Big Brother, which had started long before the revolution happened, and acts of sabotage causing the death of hundreds, thousands of people. 
After confessing to these things, they'd been pardoned, reinstated into the party, and given posts which were, in fact, sinecures, but which sounded important. All three had written long, abject articles in the Times, analyzing the reasons for their defection, promising to make amends. Now, some time after their release, Winston had actually seen all three of them in the Chestnut Tree Cafe. He remembered the sort of terrified fascination with which he watched them out of the corner of his eye. They were men far older than himself, relics of the ancient world, almost the last great figures left over from the heroic days of the party. The glamour of the underground struggle and the civil war still faintly clung to them. He had the feeling, though already at that time facts and dates were growing blurry, that he'd known their names years earlier than he had known that of Big Brother. But also, they were outlaws, enemies, untouchables, doomed with absolute certainty to extinction within a year or two. No one who had once fallen into the hands of the thought police ever escaped in the end. They were corpses waiting to be sent back to the grave. There was no one at any of the tables nearest to them. It wasn't wise even to be seen in the neighborhood of such people. They were sitting in silence before glasses of the gin flavored with cloves, which is the specialty of the cafe. Of the three, it was Rutherford whose appearance had most impressed Winston. Rutherford had once been a famous caricaturist whose brutal cartoons had helped to inflame popular opinion before and during the revolution. Even now, at long intervals, his cartoons were appearing in the Times. They were simply an imitation of his earlier manner, curiously lifeless, unconvincing. Always there was a rehashing of the ancient themes, slum tenements, starving children, street battles, capitalists in top hats. <clears throat> Even on the barricades, the capitalists still cling to their top hats, an endless, hopeless effort to get back into the past. He was a monstrous man, with a mane of greasy gray hair. His face pouched, seamed with thick negroid lips. At one time he must have been immensely strong, but now his great body was sagging, sloping, bulging, falling away in every direction. He seemed to be breaking up before one's eyes, like a mountain crumbling. It was the lonely hour of fifteen. Winston could not now remember how he'd come to be in the cafe at such a time. The place was almost empty, tinny music trickling from the telescreens. The three men sat in their corner, almost motionless, never speaking. Uncommanded, the waiter brought fresh glasses of gin. There was a chessboard on the table beside them with the pieces set out, but no game started. And then, for perhaps a half a minute in all, 
something happened to the telescreens. The tune they were playing changed. The tone of the music changed, too. There came into it, but it was something hard to describe. It was a particular cracked, braying, jeering note. In his mind, Winston called it a yellow note. And then a voice from the telescreen was singing. Under the spreading chestnut tree, I sold you and you sold me. They lie they, and here lie we, under the spreading chestnut tree. The three men never stirred. But when Winston glanced again at Rutherford's ruinous face, he saw his eyes were full of tears. And for the first time he noticed with a kind of inward shudder, and not yet knowing at what he shuddered, that both Aronson and Rutherford had broken noses. A little later, all three were rearrested. It appeared they'd engaged in fresh conspiracies from the very moment of their release. At their second trial, they confessed to their old crimes over again, with a whole string of new ones. They were executed, and their fate was recorded by the party histories. A warning to posterity. About five years after this, in 1973, Winston was unrolling a wad of documents which had just flopped out of the pneumatic tube on his desk, and when he came on a fragment of paper, which had evidently been slipped in among the others, forgotten. The instant he'd flattened it out, he saw its significance. It was a half page, torn out of the times of about ten years earlier. The top half of the page, so that it included the date, and it contained a photograph of the delegates at some party function in New York. Prominent in the middle of the group, were Jones, Aronson, and Rutherford. There was no mistaking them. In any case, their names were in the caption at the bottom. The point was that at both trials, all three men had confessed that on that date they had been on Eurasian soil. They'd flown from a secret airfield in Canada to a rendezvous somewhere in Siberia and had conferred with members of the Eurasian general staff to whom they'd betrayed important military secrets. The date had stuck in Winston's memory because it chanced to be Midsummer Day. But the whole story must be on record in countless other places as well. There was only one possible Conclusion. The confessions were lies. And we will continue on with George Orwell's 1984 coming up tomorrow night on our Friday edition. All right, that's going to do it. Hey, thanks so much. We are also a podcast, by the way. Look us up. The Jay Sheldon Show over on Apple Spotify, any place you get your your podcast, and just click uh, subscribe. And if you wouldn't mind, please, there is a follow button right there. Just give it a tick, and uh, you're good to go. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for watching, and I will see you again 
tomorrow. Good night. Snort.